Once again, for those of you who may have come in after the announcements, my name is Stuart Mazell. I'm the lead pastor here. It's great to see all of you here. Thank you for visiting with us. Those of you who are visiting, thank you for being with us today. Those of you who are members, and thank you for joining us online or on the podcast. Uh, today is our last day in the Joy series, and I have really enjoyed um, going through the, these passages with you. I hope that uh, not just what we've already been through, but even today will stick with you for a time and that you will constantly go back to some of those truths that we've learned because there are so many things in this life that can steal the joy from us, that can rob us of, of real joy. And so I hope that this series has helped us as a congregation to grow further in um, joy. But today we're going to be talking about the joy of the future, and we'll be looking at the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. John is on the Isle of Patmos. He's being persecuted. He's been sent off into exile there, and he sees these series of visions, and this is one of the last visions that he sees here in chapter 21. And here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes not only to the people then, but by God's Spirit, he is writing to us today. And here's what he says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Let me pray for us. Father, we know that all of your words are trustworthy and true. You are the God who cannot lie. You cannot lead us astray. And you have made bold promises throughout Scripture, but particularly here. Holy Spirit, give us the faith to believe 
these words are what you say they are, that they are trustworthy, they are true, they are the future of all who believe in Jesus. And that even today, as we think about these truths, that you would bubble up within us true joy, spirit-produced joy, that would not only bubble up in our hearts, but would bubble up into our lives, that we would live in a way with an eye to the future, regardless of what's going on in our lives, and find joy in our destiny. Would you help us today to do that? And for those who are here or who are listening, who don't believe, Father, by your Spirit, would you produce real faith in them that they would have this joy, that your joy would be in all of us and our joy would be full. For your glory, for our good, and for the good of the people around us, we pray this. Amen. For, uh, for six years, a couple named uh, Lynn Rosen and John Littig co-hosted a radio show in Brooklyn, New York. It was entitled The Pursuit of Happiness, where they gave advice on how to be happy, on how to have your best life now, on how to manage the things that are going on in your life so that you can live a happy, fulfilled life. For six years, they were doing this radio show, and then in 2013, they both committed suicide. we may hold as self-evident that we are endowed with the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but pursuing happiness does not always mean that we will gain happiness. Can I get a witness to that? In fact, sometimes it seems the more we pursue happiness, the less happiness we actually have. And I think a lot of that is because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is under the curse of sin. We live in a world that has evil and suffering, tragedy and grief, troubles and challenges of various kinds. And this stuff is hard to ignore. We can't bury our heads in the sand and pretend like it's not there. It is. And if we're honest... There are many times when we are pursuing happiness with all of our heart, and yet it seems like this venture is doomed from the start. And it's in that kind of environment, in that kind of world, in this kind of situation, God speaks to us today through His Word, by the Spirit, and He basically gives us this overarching idea. No matter what we experience in this age, no matter what we experience in this age, be it the worst ever, God's people will be full of joy in the age to come.
No matter what we experience in this life, no matter whether it's cancer, whether it's death, whether it's pain and suffering, whether it's everyone abandoning us, no matter what it may be, God's people have His promise. The promise from God that cannot lie. The God who will bring about His promises. He promises that we will be full of joy in the age to come. And we see that in this passage. Let's just walk through it quickly. In verse 1 of Revelation 21, we read this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. What God is promising here is He's saying, okay, He created everything in the beginning and it was very good, but then sin entered in and there was a curse that was placed on everything. And now He is saying, I am reversing that curse. I am taking away all of the dross, all of the evil, all of the ugliness of this life and I'm going to recreate it all so that there's a new heaven. There's a new earth. It's not the same old, same old. This is new. I'm going to take what was bad and I'm going to change it back into not just very good, but extremely good. So good that evil will never be able to creep its way back in again. Verse 2. He says, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, I've mentioned this before, but I'll say it again. One of the happiest moments of my life was standing in Eller Memorial Baptist Church and looking down an aisle similar to this and watching my bride adorned for her wedding, walking down the aisle towards me. That was a moment of real joy. And that's what he's comparing this to. That the holy city, New Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I want you to hear this. That For some of you, this is going to be new news. For some of you, this is going to blow your mind. But oftentimes, Christians talk about how we die and we go to heaven. That's what we're experiencing. That's what we're looking forward to. That is not the end. That is a resting place for just a moment in eternity. What God's promise is that he brings heaven to earth. In a new heaven and a new earth where there's no more sea, there's no more distinction between the two, heaven and earth are combined in such a way that there is no more sin, there is no more problems, there are no more issues, and what we have is heaven on earth literally. And that's what we're shooting for. Not the resting place of I die, but the rest of you guys, and I'm in heaven, but the rest of you guys are just still suffering here on earth. No, it is the removal of all suffering from God's creation for His people. That's the final goal. And then in verse 3, we hear this. 
I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is God speaking, and he says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Again, listen to the specific language there. He doesn't say that the dwelling place of man is with God. He's saying the dwelling place of God is with man. God has come down to us. He has entered into our space and he has transformed us and our space into something beautiful, glorious, beyond our comprehension. And he says that God will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the fulfillment of the promise that God made way back in Genesis where he says to Abraham, I will be your God and you will be my people and that theme has gone through all out scripture and now here in Revelation we see it is finished. God has accomplished it. And then verse 4. Now Christian, even non-Christian, if you can hear these words and not be moved by them, I wonder What's going on in your heart? Because these are the words that every last one of us long for. God promises to wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. No more loved ones dying. No more friends passing on. No more saying goodbye. Death will be no more. And there will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. For the former things, that old creation, that old creation that is tainted with sin, that has the curse of sin upon it, it is gone, it's passed away, and now it's a new heaven and a new earth, and now it's set up such that there will never be death or mourning or crying or tears or pain or sin ever again in the midst of God's people. Whew. That is some good news. And then, in verse 5, we hear this. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. New heaven, new earth, new you. All things new. That rickety body that you have that has all those aches and pains when you wake up in the morning, your back is hurting, your head is hurting, your teeth are hurting if you have teeth, whatever it is that's going on with you, it will be made new. You're going to have a new resurrection body that is just like Jesus' body and it will never die and it can't be subjected to pain and sickness or death ever again. That is the promise of God. 
I got this idea from J.I. Packard. I'm not quoting him exactly, so I don't have a quote for you, but I'm going to just summarize the basic gist of what he was saying. J.I. Packard once said something along these lines, that in this life, people experience something that brings them joy, and they say, I never want this to end. But it always does. In the age to come, in the age to come, believer, people will say, I want this to go on forever, and it will. Man, that's some good news. And if you're thinking, wait a second, Stuart, that sounds way too good. It sounds to me like you're selling something. It sounds like, you know, you've got your fingers crossed behind your back when you're saying that because that's way too good. There's no way that's true. I want you to hear this. Nothing, nothing in this life, nothing is as secure as our destiny in Christ. Nothing. Whatever contract you've signed, it is not as ironclad as God's promise. Whatever kind of relationship you have that you say this will always last, it will never be as secure as what God has in this. What he says in verse 3, he says, I heard, John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, not will be, not might be, not may be, not could be, is. It is with man. And he will dwell with them. He will. It is not, it is not questioned. It is not something that we can go, well, will it really, really happen? Yes, it will. He will be with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. It's all gone. You're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. And this is the fulfillment of all of that. And in verse 5, he says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I am. Don't doubt it. He is making all things new. He will make all things new. All things will be new, including you. And even if at this point you're still saying, Well, I don't know. God tells John, Write this down. I want to make sure that everybody knows this is what I say as the God who can never lie, as the God who never breaks his promises, as the God who is always true, always right, the God who is powerful enough to create everything from one statement, let there be, and there was. And he's saying, now I'm going to say, let there be, and there will be something new. That God says, write this down for these words. These words that I've just said, they are trustworthy. They are true. We may doubt them. 
We may chalk them up to, well, that's just fairy tale language. We may even say, I'm not so sure if I would believe that even if God himself came down in the flesh and spoke to me these words. But God says they are trustworthy. They are true. You can bank on it. Folks, it's hard for us because so many people make promises that they don't keep. I'm one of them. We all do it. We all say, I'm going to do that, and then we don't do it. And then we inflict that upon God, and we say, well, God must be something like us. And so we doubt when he says things like this. But listen, again, this is the God who is over all things, who is sovereign over all things, the God who can create everything from just words, the God who can form human beings out of dust, the God who can do wonders beyond our comprehension. That God says, I will do this. And my promise is trustworthy. You can trust me. It's true. It's going to happen. Whether you believe it or not, it's going to happen. Now you might be thinking, okay, I get you, Stuart. What you're saying is this life's going to be miserable. Next life's going to be wonderful. We just have to hold on. And in a sense, you're right. There is some of that. In our society, in our culture, we do not like to wait. We want it now. Delayed gratification is not something we major in as a society. And so to hear someone say, just hold on for 50, 60, 70, or even just 10, or maybe even 5 or 1 year, that's a long time to wait. That's hard for us. But I want you to hear this. It's not just hold on until then. Knowing our destiny in Christ can bring us great joy in the present. Not just wait for pie in the sky by and by when you die. We're talking right now, in this very moment, you can have great joy just by knowing your destiny in Christ. Look, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, that you're a sinner, and Jesus died for your sins, and he rose from the dead for you, and if you trust Jesus as your only hope of being rescued from this mess that we live in in our world, and if you say that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, then the new heaven and the new earth John talked about in Revelation 21 is your destiny. It's yours. Can't be taken away from you. It's yours. It's your inheritance. It's a kingdom of joy and happiness beyond our estimation. It's our inevitable future. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the elation, the euphoria that God has in store for us.
in the age to come, right? And if that is your definite destiny, even when things are going bad, even when things are flushing down the toilet, even when you are saying, I can't take it anymore, you can find moments of joy because you know this isn't the end of the story. My story is still being written, and I know what the end is. I may be in chapter 21 of a 41-chapter book, but I know what happens in chapter 41. And they live happily ever after forever. That's our destiny. And if you really think about it, the anticipation the anticipation of that will bring you joy. Right? When I was a kid, we had the, uh, the Sears Roebuck catalog. I feel sorry for kids today that they don't have the Sears Roebuck catalog to flip through and look at all the toys that they could have at Christmas time. But I had that, and I would flip through, and I would make my list. And now Christmas Day was always a joyful occasion, all right? You know, I come in, and I'm like, oh, look at all these toys, and I play with them, and, and you know, of course the joy would fade after a while, but on that moment, it was a joyful moment. But you know what? The anticipation of Christmas Day had a lot of joy in it also. No matter what was going on, I would think, oh boy, I'm going to get that toy that I asked for. Or who knows what else I might get. Because my parents always tried to surprise me with something I wasn't expecting. And so with that in mind, when you're thinking about the age to come, no matter what difficulty you're going through right now, you can say, I can't wait for that. And that will bring a spark of joy in your own heart. That's written all throughout Scripture, right? Like Romans 8, 18, which we read this morning, in our confession of faith, Paul writes, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Right now, I don't have a Stretch Armstrong. You guys remember Stretch Armstrong? I like my Stretch Armstrong. I really wanted one of those. As a kid, I didn't have it, but anticipating that one day I'm going to get that, it brought me great happiness, great joy. And no matter what my parents may have inflicted on me before Christmas, thinking about how I'm going to get what I asked for, oh, man, made it worth it. Okay, Yes, mom and dad, you're right. I'm being a bad kid right now. I'm going to try to make my act better. But even though I'm in my room, I'm confined to my room, and I'm not able to play with anything, I'm going to get to play with that Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> and that's going to be fun. See what I'm saying? Or think about what 2 Corinthians 4.17, again, Paul saying, for this light 
momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I could spend the rest of the afternoon talking about this one verse. This verse has meant so much to me. But you notice how he says it's light. It's momentary affliction. It doesn't weigh that much in comparison with the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. A glory that is beyond all comparison. You can't compare what is to come with anything that's going on in this life, whether good or bad. The worst thing that you could have happen to you in this life in comparison to what God has in store for his people will be like just a little blip. Do you hear that? Do you believe that? Because if you do, you can't help but have a little spark of joy right now saying, oh boy, I can't wait for Christmas Day, even though Christmas Day will be Christmas eternity. Christmas never ending. And if all of that doesn't, if it doesn't ring your bell, if it doesn't, Um, light your fire, if it doesn't do whatever it is that needs to happen in your heart, at least think about Jesus. Jesus whipped, mocked, scorned, beaten and bruised, nailed to a cross. And the author of Hebrews says this, therefore since we are surrounded by so Great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Whenever you start thinking, I don't know if I can take this, remember Jesus for the joy of having you in his kingdom. For the joy of having you be new creations. For the joy of having you in the family of God, Jesus was willing to be killed for your good. And in the same way, as we're running our race, we need to think about that joy that is set before us and say, I want that so much, I'm willing to go through whatever this life throws at me. Because it will not compare to what I have in the future. This is why the early Christians were willing to be persecuted and burned at the stake. They were willing to go to the lion's den, so to speak, and be eaten by lions. They were willing to be tarred and feathered. They were willing to be boiled in oil. They were willing to go through all kinds of serious, painful experiences because they knew there was something better on the other side and they were willing to go through whatever they had to in this life because they knew whatever was in the next life was so much better it wouldn't compare.
There's a guy that you may not have heard of. His name's Richard Baxter. He's a Puritan. He He wrote more books than I can name. But I came across this quote in reading, and I thought I would let you hear it. Because <laughs> it, it, it sums up a lot of this really well. Richard Baxter writes, You know what a folly it is to expect any peace which shall not come from Christ as the fountain. But wherever you expect to get peace, if you're not looking to Jesus, it's folly. And you must learn as well to understand what a folly it is to expect any solid joys. I love that phrase, solid joys or stable peace which is not fetched from heaven as from the end. In other words, if it doesn't come from God from heaven down to us, don't expect it to be there forever. Oh, that Christians were careful to live with one eye still on Christ crucified and with the other on Christ coming in glory. This is what Jesus has done for me. It is finished. And now I'm looking forward to the day when he returns and he's going to set the world right, including me. If the everlasting joys were more in your believing thoughts, spiritual joys would abound at present, at present in your hearts. It is no more wonder that you are comfortless when heaven is forgotten or doubtingly remembered that when you are faint, that when you are faint when you eat not or cold when you stir not or when you have not fire or clothes. In other words, he's saying, why are you complaining about the experience of you're not having enough joy in this life when you're not thinking about the next? That's like saying, I'm hungry. Well, why don't you go to the fridge and get something to eat? Oh, well, that's, I never thought of that. I'm cold. Well, why don't you put some more, you know, wood on the fire? Oh, well, that never occurred to me. None of us would do that. And yet, most of us, we bought into the lie that says you're too heavenly minded to be earthly good. The truth is, those who are heavenly minded are usually the best at being earthly good. So your action point, this is really simple. Think about the age to come often. Think about the age to come often. How often? Well, if I take a hint from Baxter, how often do you eat? How often do you feel hungry and say, oh, I'm going to get something to eat? Think about it that much. How often do you seek out physical comfort in this life? Think about the age to come that much. And then see if the spark of joy doesn't erupt in your own heart into more of a roaring fire. That is certainly my prayer for all of us. So, folks... By faith and by the work of the Spirit, 
Let's rejoice. Let's rejoice in the destiny Christ has secured for us. And let me pray for us that we'll be able to do that. Father, just like we seek nourishment for our bellies and we seek comfort for our bodies, uh, cause us to seek the nourishment and the comfort of the age to come in our lives. That you've begun a good work and you promise to carry it to completion. And we can bank on all of this because of what you've given us in Christ. So let that spark of joy in our lives as we anticipate what you have to come. Even when we're going through the worst scenarios we can imagine, cause us to be able to sing with joy because we know that nothing is as secure as the destiny you have for us. And nothing will be able to take that destiny away. Lord, let that sink down into my heart. that I would rejoice in what you've given to me. And let that joy spread in my household and in this church and in this community for your glory that everyone around us would see that you are worth rejoicing about. Amen.